Hey, this, I love Father's Day, obviously. I love Mother's Day. I love turning my wife loose on Mother's Day and letting her heart gush on you and some of the other ladies that we've had share here. But I just got to tell you, I absolutely love Father's Day. Ladies, you can just chill out today. Uh, you're not going to be challenged. You're not going to be, you know, convicted. You're not going to, any of those things, you're just going to relax. You, you don't have to elbow your husband or anything like that. The Holy Spirit's going to encourage him. But uh, my heart's desire today is to really encourage our men to be men and to celebrate the fact that you're a man. It's a good thing. And I'm just saying in a culture today that absolutely feminizes men and that attacks the strength of, man, of men, I just want to celebrate what it means to be a man today. Uh, and I want you to leave encouraged. I hope you'll leave challenged. How many of you know whenever we hear the word of the Lord, it should cause us to ratchet up a little bit? Uh, we can all improve our game. But the goal today is not to beat up on any men here. It's to challenge the daylights out of you and to encourage you to be a man of God. You with me? So I want to pray. Father, thank you for the men in this house. Not just fathers, but men in general. For every, every male in this place. God, we thank you for creating us as men. And God, we want to maximize what that means for your glory. So I ask you to bless this time and bless the word as we share it. And bless every man in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start with simply uh, the topic this morning. I'm calling this message The Gift of Manhood. We're in the series, of course, called Gifted. Uh, and I believe manhood is a gift. Well, pastor, where do you get that from? Well, let's look at Genesis 1.27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. And notice how he created people, male and female, he created them. How many of you know this is one of those forks in the road? You don't get to choose more than two options in life. Some people think today you can choose all kinds of options on your gender. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You have two options. You're either born a male or you're born a female. Your job is to maximize the gender that God blessed you with and to use it for his glory. So we talked about womanhood a few weeks ago. Today we're going to talk about the gift of manhood. What does this mean to be a man. Now, I think it's important that how many of you get realize that men and women both express the glory and greatness of God in unique ways. We're not looking for masculine females and we're not looking for feminine males. We're looking for women to display the glory of God. We're looking for men to display the glory of God. And here's the other cool thing, all right? Even when we talk about manhood, how many of you know we're not talking about a cookie cutter approach to maleness, all right? Sometimes people think, well, if you're a man, you're tough, you're rugged, you're an athlete, you're a warrior, you're a builder. But how many of you know there's some serious men of God who are musicians and artists and writers and display God in his glory in a completely different way? In other words, every man in this room is part of what it means to be the masterpiece that God created you to be. And we're all going to express our masculinity different. But this is the message I'm trying to get across. Masculinity and femininity are massively different, and we need to make sure we keep them that way. Uh, gender blending uh, is not anything that brings God glory. It brings great confusion, and I want you to understand this. Everything you see in culture today that is under attack is under attack for a reason. The reason it's under attack is it's an attack on the greatness and the glory of God as he creates. There's something about masculinity that God created, that God designed, that God wants to be expressed through men, and there's something beautiful about femininity that God wants to be expressed. And when those things get, get confused, it gets really ugly, really crazy, and bad things happen. I would like to say this. When I think about what separates men from women, 
What separates masculinity from femininity? If you had to boil it down to one thing, I think that the Bible teaches consistently this. Manhood equals strength. Manhood equals strength. I don't think there's a woman in this, in this room today that says, you know what, someday I want to marry my Prince Charming and I hope he's an effeminate wimp. I don't think there's one woman that ever has that dream of her man. That's not what we think about. What we think about is a man who's strong. Not physically strong only, but mentally strong, spiritually strong, strong character, has a sense of toughness about him in the appropriate ways. Am I right, ladies? You're not, you're not looking uh, for somebody who uh, you get to take care of and that you get to protect and that you get to support. That's not what you're looking for. You're looking for someone who has a strength about him that will lead you in godly ways. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But it's interesting that we hear this phrase over and over again. In fact, 44 times in the Bible, this is, this is the word that God speaks to men. 44 times. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Look what David said to his son Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 2. I go the way of all the earth. He said, in other words, I'm getting ready to die. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. Be strong and prove yourself a man. This is what this means. He's saying, you know what, son? I want you to manifest the strength of what it means to be a man of God. I want you to demonstrate. I want you to make visible something. And here's what I want you to make visible. Strength. There's something powerful about strong men. There's something powerful about men who know who they are. There's something powerful about men who conduct themselves uh, in the strength of biblical masculinity. There's something incredibly appealing to men who are like that, and there's something that brings God great glory. So be strong, he says. Prove yourself to be a man. Look what Paul says to, to us in 1 Corinthians 16. Be watchful. Stand firm. Act, stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Well, what does that mean? Be strong. Act like men. Be strong. I want to encourage all the men in this house. You know, for, well, first of all, wasn't it amazing today that we were not led by a boy band? We were led by a man band, all right? It was a man band. And, uh, and I just want to say this. I love the female voices. I love it when our ladies are singing up here and they sound like angels. Isn't that beautiful? That's part of femininity and it's beautiful. I love the tenderness. I love the intimate worship songs that appeal to uh, a sense of enemy, intimacy, tenderness with God. But I'll tell you this. I love it when the men are in the house and when we're singing and there's a strength coming off the stage that is manhood. I love it when we're singing about the, the warrior aspects of God, the strength of God, the power of God. And when you have masculine voices leading us, masculine voices, how about on those keyboards? Come on. Masculinity oozing from the stage. There's, there's something powerful about that. And it's why, guys, when 300 to 500 men are in this place and we're worshiping together, there's something that you hear that you don't hear anywhere else on earth. It's the sound of men of God singing. I mean, you know, most men are not singers because they don't have anything to sing about. But men of God, we have something to sing about and shout about. And we demonstrate worship in a whole different way, which is why, hear me, guys, we need male song leaders, guitarists, drummers. We need men of God helping lead the way and helping to identify with men. Why are our churches empty of men? 
Why do we not have powerful men worshiping on Sunday morning? I'll tell you why. We lack the example, and here's, here's the issue. We lack the leadership, and we lack the strength of manhood being displayed on a weekly basis. So I just, I mean, I came in here today. My testosterone was flowing on the inside. I was so excited um, because what I heard coming out of here uh, when I'm in my office this morning preparing, what I heard was the strength of manhood, and there's something powerful and beautiful and necessary about that. The call to, uh, uh, that call to strength and courage is always attached to a fight. I want you to see this. Every time God told men, be strong, be courageous, it's because something was on the other side of those words. There was a battle to be fought. There was, some, there was an enemy to be resisted. There was, there was a cause that was driving those men. And God was saying to these men, be strong. Demonstrate the strength of your masculinity. Face whatever it is that you're facing. There's a fight. And how many of you know there's a certain toughness that has to be developed in our boys? Not just physical toughness, but mental toughness and spiritual toughness. You know, one of the things I want to encourage every young mom in this place, if your children ever play sports or whatever, and say they play baseball, and somebody whips the ball at them, and they get hit, like maybe on the behind, or maybe in the back, or maybe on the elbow, and most boys, when they're standing up there and they get hit the first time, it's like, ugh, and they grab their arm like this, and here's what fathers say get down here to first base get off the ground get up get down to first base now why do they say that because they realize that that ball stung but that ball did not leave lasting damage okay and the worst thing you can do is have a mom dive over the fence and come on and pat their child's buns you know you're gonna be okay (laughs) no what do the fathers say get down here In fact, what you find in the major leagues when they're throwing the ball at 90 miles an hour and somebody gets hit, they usually stare at the pitcher and toss the bat and give them a look like that. Now you know they are hurting like crazy. They just got hit with a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. But here's what you're trying to say. Life is hard. Being a husband and a father is no cakewalk. Where do we learn to prepare young men to handle the capacity of what it means to get up and work hard and pay bills and face challenges and be faithful to your wife and raise kids in this day and age. Where do they learn that? They learn it by getting hit with a fastball. That's where it starts. You know, one of my sons recently got in a collision last year. They were playing in the championship game, and he got knocked to the ground and broke his nose, and blood was everywhere, and he was on his knees, and it's dripping on the ground, and everybody had a collective gasp. And they all started looking at me. (laughs) And you know what I did? I stood there. And I watched my son. Under pressure, with a broken nose, because that was a time to see what is he going to do. So they stuffed his nose with cotton, and he got up, and he went back to shortstop. And everybody was like, Because listen, everybody in our culture today wants to coddle boys. And someone said to me, I can't believe he's still in the game. I said, this is the championship. Where else should he be? I mean, this is the champion. We play baseball to get to this point, and you're going to let a broken nose stop you? What is the matter with you? But you know what it did? It sent, here's what happens. When men demonstrate toughness, it encourages men around them. When, when, men, when men deal with 
going through hardship and opposition and pain, it encourages other men that, hey, I need to man up. And I'll tell you what, when we, when we turn boys into little girls and we coddle them and we take them out and we put band-aids on their boo-boos uh, when we should be sending them back out to their position, and we're not helping create men that have the capacity to lead. We're creating effeminate little boys who aren't going to be much help when it comes to moving on to marriage or life or anything else. But here's the problem. Satan loves to pervert our masculinity. He's either going to push us to one extreme or the other. And you've heard in the news today a lot of talk about toxic masculinity. Now, I don't think the picture of toxic masculinity is always accurate. Sometimes it's an assault on biblical masculinity. But this is the assault on on men, and here's the way it, it comes out. Most of the time, Satan will push us to one extreme or the other. Either he creates brutal men or soft men. Men that are, are tough, men that are hard, men that are aggressive, men that are unfeeling, men that are emotionally disconnected, men that are tough but not tender. And how many of you know we got a big problem in our society? 99% of all prison inmates are males. Isn't that interesting? 98% of everybody on death row are males. Extreme violence in America is a masculine problem, and Uh, Also, sexual aggressiveness and sexual exploiting that's happening all across our nation today. These are all things that come from toxic masculinity. Everybody knows what toxic masculinity looks like. Aggressive, violent, use, selfish. In fact, the Bible talks about men who live for their own pleasures. Listen to this, 2 Timothy 3. This is a picture of toxic masculinity. Men who love themselves. Narcissists. They love money. They're boasters. They're proud. They're blasphemers. They mock God. They're disobedient to their parents. They lack a sense of honor, proper honor. They're unthankful. They're unholy. They're unloving. They're unforgiving. They slander people. Look at this next one. They're without self-control. They're brutal. They're despisers of what is good. They're traitors. They're headstrong haughty. They love pleasure rather than they love God or more than they love God. They have a form of godliness. They, they might look religious on the outside, but they deny the power of God to bring personal transformation. And the Bible says from such people, turn away. Don't hang out with men like that. Those are dangerous, selfish men. And we have a lot of, I think the whole feminist movement was created because women were sick and tired of being used, abused, mistreated by selfish pig men. That's why we have a reaction. You see, God takes, or the devil takes our manhood and pushes it to perverse extremes. But let me tell you something that's just as ugly as toxic masculinity. And it's effeminate, soft men. It's just as disgusting, only in a different form. We have men who are passive, tender, gentle, nice, and altogether feminine. Men who are trapped in the Peter Pan syndrome, they don't want to grow up. They don't want to take responsibility. They're soft men. They don't have the capacity to shoulder responsibility or to endure hardship. Isn't it interesting? We just celebrated the 75th anniversary of, of the uh, anniversary of the invasion there on D-Day in Norm- Normandy. And I read where the first wave that came, some 95% of those men died almost instantly upon hitting the beach. Then the second wave came. 70-some percent of those men died. Then the third wave came. And when you ask the survivors, 
How in the world did you demonstrate the strength to, to do that and to face that opposition? And they simply say this, we had to do our duty. We had to do what was called upon. That was what was called upon for us and for our generation. That's what toxic, what we call toxic masculinity in our culture looks like. These were men who were willing to face uh, the most extreme adverse challenges, face them head on, uh, stare death in the face, and do it for a cause greater than themselves. How many of you know we need more men like that? We need more men that can shoulder responsibility. We need more men that don't that don't shrivel under pressure and quit when things get rough. We need men that are tough. We don't need men that are sissies. We don't need men that are quitters. Now let me just talk something about, about toughness because sometimes we're like, well, you know, uh, everybody's not born that way. Well, let me give you some examples here. Teddy Roosevelt's father said this to, to Teddy when he was just a boy. Teddy, he said, actually he called him Theodore. Theodore, because we use our proper names as dads. Theodore, you have the mind but you do not have the body. And without the help of the body, the mind cannot go as far as it should. He said, you must make your body. Teddy Roosevelt answered, I will make my body. And he spent the rest of his life doing so. He was vigorously involved in boxing, wrestling, hiking, swimming, and hunting until his death. Now here's what I'm trying to say. He, did not, he was not given a tough disposition as a child. He, he did not have a strong body. He had a weak body. He was a sickly little kid. But he made the determination that if he was going to move into the strength of his masculinity, he needed to change his life and take responsibility for how he lived. How many of you know we can all choose what we do with this physical body? We can choose to make it tougher men, or we can choose to do nothing with it. Let me give you another example. We all know Teddy Roosevelt was, was, a, was called the Rough Rider, uh, was a man noted for his toughness. One of my favorite stories of Teddy Roosevelt, while he was running for president, he was shot. And the bullet pierced his lung and collapsed his lung. He collapsed to the ground. They found out he was okay. He was going to live. He got up and finished his stump speech. And then he went on to become president. How many of you know there's something inspiring about a guy who believes so much in his message that after he's shot, he has said, wait, 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 before you take me, let me finish my third point. Are you kidding me? I don't even know if I, you know, what party he's from, but I would have voted for him. There's just something that inspires us about people like that. It's like that guy must really believe he's the guy for the job. And you know what? He's got the toughness to endure. How about this? Winston Churchill. Anybody know about good old Winston Churchill? His, this, this was what his, one of his uh, biographers wrote about him. He was sickly, an uncoordinated weakling, with pale, frigid hands of a girl, speaking with a lisp and a slight stutter. He had been at the mercy of bullies. Talk about toxic masculinity. They beat him, ridiculed him, and pelted him with cricket balls. You think you had a bad day. Trembling and humiliated, he hid in the nearby woods. This was hardly the stuff of which gladiators were made. His head was ponderous, his limbs small, his belly tumescent. I have to look that word up, tumescent. Doesn't sound good, though. His chest puny. His skin was so sensitive that he broke into a rash unless he slept naked at night between silk sheets. By day, he could wear only silk underwear against his skin. That's pathetic. (laughs) 
He went on to become a Nobel Prize winning writer, an exceptional orator, one of the greatest prime ministers in British political history. This incredible man earned his place as one of the giants of the Second World War after leading his nation in the fight against the armies of Nazi Germany. But he started off by getting a rash and he couldn't sleep except between silk sheets. Now here's my point. We're either going to, his mom or whoever could have coddled him, you poor little child, you have a rash on your behind. What are we going to do with you? But he made a choice and said, you know what? I'm not going to stay this way. I'm going to develop toughness. And he went on and he went through incredible toughness, mental toughness. He developed his body physically. Can I just encourage every dad in this room, help your son develop himself physically. Challenge him physically. Challenge him to work hard. Challenge him to pick up some weights along the way. Challenge him to run. Challenge him to stretch himself. Challenge him to pick up an instrument. Let him be well-rounded. Challenge him to do things that develop his masculinity. Challenge him to be mentally tough so when he wants to quit, you tell him you're not quitting. You know, my father, when I started a sport and then found out I didn't like it or it wasn't going the way I wanted and I had a few of those moments, my dad said to me, look, you don't have to go out next year. But you absolutely will finish this year because you're not going to be a quitter. Why do we let our sons quit? Why do we let our sons give up? Why do we let our sons stop doing things when when it's rough, when we should be encouraging them to press through? How in the world are we going to build them for a successful life being a man if they never have to experience anything that challenges them? Encourage them to work hard. Encourage them to stay up late. Encourage them to study hard. Encourage them to pray hard. Encourage them to love hard. Encourage them to serve hard. These are all things that go into helping us raise godly sons. And I encourage them to do something that's going to push them well beyond their limits physically so that they're challenged and they don't become the other version of Winston Churchill. They become the champion. Winston Churchill was called the bulldog because of his toughness. Now, here's the point I'm trying to make. We're, we're either going to be toxic or we're going to be effeminate because that's what the, the enemy tries to do in our lives. Only Jesus turns us into genuine men. You know, I've heard it said we're born males, but it takes Christ to transform us into men. And this is so true. Maleness is a gift. You either come out and you say, hey, it's a boy or it's a girl. It's just a gift. You do nothing to become a male. But manhood is not that way. Manhood has to be challenged. Manhood has to be developed. To be a godly man, you've got to be detoxified. You've got to be sanctified. You've got to have your, your heart sanitized, and you have to have your passions harnessed by the Holy Spirit because manhood has to be crafted. And let me just say this. This, this is Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Those who belong to Christ, the Bible says, have nailed their natural evil desires to his cross and crucified them there. The anger the lust, the insecurity, the anxiety nailed to the cross. And the spiritually mature man is going to come forth with this. And this, I love this picture. This is the picture of Jesus. The spiritually mature man will exhibit strength and zeal and courage and toughness all mixed together with kindness and compassion. Isn't that good? What we find in Jesus Christ is the man who endured everything hell had to throw at him. And at the same time, he was tender and compassionate and gracious and merciful and loving and patient. And that's the kind of manhood we're after. There's nothing wimpy about being tender. There's nothing wimpy about being compassionate. 
There's nothing wimpy about shedding tears, just to make it clear. We never want to crush a young man's spirit and suggest that if he shows any kind of emotion, he's somehow less than a man. What we want to do is help, help teach our sons when it's appropriate to suck it up and be tough and when it's appropriate to let forth the compassion of Jesus and to love people and to care for people and to be tender and to be gentle. That's the balance that Jesus Christ brings. I love that picture. I know it's just a movie, but I love that scene from The Passion of the Christ after Jesus is relentlessly assaulted by the toxic masculinity of the Roman uh, guards who just beat him to a pulp, and he collapses on the ground with his hands tied to that post, and they're laughing at him. His body is shredded, uh, and they're mocking him and spitting on him, and he's nothing but a bloody pulp. And I love the way they depicted in that, in that scene. It shows Jesus getting back up on his feet and standing there at his place and enduring whatever he has to endure for the sake of his bride, us. Enduring whatever he has to endure for the will of the Father to be completed. That's the masculinity I'm talking about. It's, it's a masculinity that demonstrates strength of God under the power of God for the glory of God. And that's what masculinity looks like. So let me end with this. I'm going to challenge you guys with three things this morning. How real men manifest strength. I, I want to suggest that we manifest strength in three ways. And let me just back up. I want to challenge every guy here today. Most men, before they come to know Christ, are selfish to the core and were pigs. And those are our strengths. When I realized that my father-in-law gave me permission to marry his daughter at the ripe age of 21, and she was 19, 35 years ago today, it's taken me time to realize how much trust he put in a (laughs) 21-year-old selfish moron. Now, not everybody in this room that's 21 is a selfish moron, but I was. And I realized what great confidence he put in me. He believed in me, and he trusted in me. But this idea of manhood today, where we indulge ourselves in every kind of sensual pleasure, where we're drunkards, where we're gluttonous, where we exploit women sexually, when all we care about is ourselves, when we don't care about anybody else, it's a disgusting form of manhood. That's what happens as a result of the fall. How many of you know it takes Jesus to turn you into a man? It takes Jesus to turn every one of us into a man. And uh, and this is how it's going to manifest. And I want to encourage every man in this room today. You know, once we come to know Jesus, his goal then is to continually kill the old, na- the old nature. And his job as we continue to stay in this game. That's why I want to encourage you. Our 35 years of marriage, everything hasn't been mountaintop. Everything hasn't been easy. There's been tough times. There's been times I didn't feel like I loved her. She didn't feel like she loved me. There's times we irritated each other. Uh, But you know what was happening during those times? God was trying to expose my toxic masculinity. And he was trying to show me where I needed to die. And he was using the woman closest to me to be a mirror of my selfishness. Thank God for our wives. And I'll just say this. The greatest threat to our wives is us. It's not anybody out there. The greatest threat to our wives 
is our selfish, unsubmitted, toxic masculinity that doesn't act like Jesus. That's what Jesus is after. He wants to expand our, the strength of our character, and he wants to make us into men, but he will absolutely be relentless in killing every part of our life that doesn't demonstrate godly strength. And let me give you three areas that we demonstrate our strength. We demonstrate strength, first of all, through self-control. How do you know a man is a godly man? One of the ways is by his ability to put a harness on his own appetites. How, how, what does the Bible say about that? Let's check it out. Proverbs chapter 25. A man without self-control is as defenseless as a city with broken down walls. If you are a man who has not learned to, to allow Jesus Christ to take dominion over your passions... You are like a city without walls. People could come in and plunder you. The devil comes in and plunders you and robs and steals and kills uh, and destroys because simply we lack the, the self-restraint to be the kind of man that God's called us to be. You know, I know men. I've met with men in this church who they lack self-control in their attitude or in their, in, in their anger and with their mouths. They constantly destroy their wives. They destroy their families. They hurt their kids. They damage their kids with their mouths. Uh, men with their, with their passions that uh, allow them to destroy their marital relationship because their passion for pornography or their passion for sexual addiction or whatever it is, that passion, because you've not learned to submit it to God, ends up destroying your life. Men whose pride and their arrogance and their, and their stubbornness, because they cannot submit their hearts to God, their stubbornness ends up becoming a destructive point in their marriage and in, with their kids. I'm just telling us, man, God, God is inviting us men to be the greatest men we could possibly be, but it's going to require uh, self-control that only the Holy Spirit can bring. Look what it says in Proverbs sixteen thirty-two: It is better to be patient than powerful. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Better to be patient than powerful. It is better to win control over yourself than over whole cities. Men, am I speaking to the right group in here? Controlling me. If I can, if I can let the Holy Spirit master me, I can take on the world. But the hardest person for me to lead is me. Am I speaking of the truth here? The hardest person to lead is me. And we can't even lead, I can't even lead me, and I can't even love one little woman until the Holy Spirit is given full possession to bring the control and the strength of self-control into my life. Look at Second uh, Chronicles chapter 15. Be strong. This is the prophet speaking to King Asa as he's coming back from war. But you be strong and do not let your hands be weak for your work shall be rewarded. And look at the response of a man of God speaking prophetically to this king. And when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Odet, the prophet, he took courage and he removed the abominable idols. This is what I'm speaking to men here today. The Bible's very clear. Be strong. That's what God wants. Be strong. Don't let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Some of you need to hear this. God has created and called us as men to be builders, to leave a legacy. I'm going to get into that in just a moment. The word of the Lord is, put your hands to work, and God will reward you. Be strong. Be strong. Be strong. Dream again. Lead again. Do the hard thing. And God will reward you, the Bible says. And look at the response. 
the response was, courage came into the heart of a king. And I love this. He began removing the idols from Israel. Here's what I would pray would happen in our hearts today as men, every one of us, myself included, that courage would come into our hearts and that we would begin to remove the idols that have kept us from God and kept us from the good things God's wanting us to do in our life. How many of you know, and I'll say this loudly and clearly in our culture today, sexual immorality, massive idol in men's hearts. It's robbing you of your masculinity. It's robbing you of your legacy. It's robbing you of what God wants to do in your life. And if you don't kill it, it will kill you. Anger, huge thing that destroys so many of our families. If you don't kill it and mortify it, it will kill you. So many other lack of appetite, lack of control areas in men's lives that if we don't kill it first, it will absolutely kill us. Absolutely kill us. Second point I want to mention. We talked about strength through self-control. Second area of strength is through servant leadership. How many of you know Christian leadership is not about taking, it's all about giving? And the strength of our manhood is demonstrated as men, not when we're taking all the time, but when we're giving and when we're laying our lives down for our wives, for our children, and for others. When we empty ourselves for the good of other people, that's when we're demonstrating the true strength of our manhood. And let me just mention this. You know, we're called with our strength to do a couple of things. We're called to serve others, and we're called to build. We, we build legacies. We build relationships. We build buildings. Thank God. I was, I was on a campus uh, over, over the last couple of days. Uh, it was a Catholic high school, a couple different Catholic high schools. And I'll just tell you this. I appreciate the vision of the Catholics because here's what I see when I drive around lots of places in the world. I see institutions and buildings and schools and colleges and hospitals that were created because somebody had the faith to build. Every time I I drive on this campus now and come into this facility, I thank God we had a leadership team that was willing to step out and build. It's easy to be a critic. I'm walking around. I dropped my son off, and he didn't have his game for an hour, and so I walked around the campus of this Catholic high school. I'll tell you what I saw. Exquisite landscaping. I took pictures of it. Exquisite. You know, I'm so tired of Christian men that make excuses for their apathy. I'm tired of Christian men that won't invest in building something because at the end of the day, it's because you're cheap. You say, all the church wants is your money. You're a, you're a stinking liar. You want your money and you're greedy. That's the issue. Because you still control your life and you get offended over that. You know what I'm looking for? I'm looking for men that have a vision to build something that's awesome and that will cost us something and that will be here when I'm dead for 100 years and you're dead for 100 years. Because godly men build things that last. Godly men build legacies. Every time I'm on the campus of a university, my blood starts going off because somebody was a man. There was a man behind everything great. Somebody who believed God. Somebody who saw a vision. Somebody who realized, I'm here to lay my life down and to build something bigger than me. Men that ran those beaches and said, there's something greater than my life. It's called freedom. Those are the kind of guys I want to hang with, not these wimpy guys. Real men. Real men. 
tough things and who at the end of the day lay their lives down for something bigger than my selfish desires, my paycheck, my food, my vacation, my 401k. Come on, let's dream about something for God's sake that's bigger. I'm looking around at pavers with people's names of families that have invested in a high school that's going to be going on for generations to come, teaching a Christian worldview that's leaving a lasting impact. And I'm just sitting there going, I don't want to be at a church where we're saying, we're going to landscape this place. It's going to look exquisite. Well, pastor, you know, I don't know if that's God. That might cost money. Yes, it's going to cost money. Lots of money. Lots of money. Anything that's valuable in life costs you something. But the problem is we don't have enough men today. We don't have enough godly men today. We don't have the capacity in men today to shoulder the responsibility of kingdom work because we haven't trained men to have that kind of capacity. But God's looking to raise up those kind of men. And let me just say this. I'm, not, I'm preaching to the choir here today. I'm not preaching at you because you know what? We're going places around here. We're not done yet. We got lots of wars to win, lots of battles to fight, lots of stuff to do. Are you with me? That's why you're here. Please don't take this as an indictment of you. But I'm just telling this. There's going to be a culture in this house of strong men. Strong men. And we're not going to do the easy thing. We're going to do the hard stuff. Are you guys at the right place? All right. If any of you men, you realize you're at the wrong church, you feel free to slip out. I'm not going to look right now. You can slip right out. I'm not going to look. God says, be strong and do the work. Be strong and do the work. Be strong and do the work. And God will be with you. That, that's, that's what I want to put in us today. What about my marriage? Be strong and do the work. I challenged men the last couple of weeks whose whose families are on the verge of destruction. Here's the message. Be strong and do the work. And quit looking for the easy way out. You gotta fight for what's important in life. You gotta fight for your wife. You gotta fight for your children. Quit rolling over and dying. You got a rash on your butt and you're sleeping on silk sheets. Come on, knock it off. That wasn't in the notes. We'll probably edit it from the podcast. (laughs) That was for my dad. I know he's appreciating it right now. Here's the message. We build a legacy by our servant leadership. And Jesus set the example for us. You know what? If you're strong, you know how to serve. And you know who you serve? You serve the weakest. And you serve your wife. And you serve your kids. And you serve people that are hurting and needy and can't help themselves. Strong men serve other people. That's the legacy that we leave. Let me end with this. The third way we show our strength is through selfless sacrifice. You know, we have to joyfully embrace our sacrificial responsibility as men. All those men that ran on that beach, all the veterans that we have in this place, I look over at Luke Abbott and others who have put their lives in harm ways, who have been injured in battle fighting for this country. We've got a lot of veterans out here today. 
That's just, of course, one expression of valiant manhood, but it's a, it's a visible one and a powerful one. There's something about when a man's willing to lay down his own agenda and his own convenience, his own comfort to do something uh, that inspires all of us. It's called sacrifice, and sacrifice is a gift, and sacrifice is something that God's called men to do. It's at the very heart of leadership. I like what John Maxwell says. He says, everything worthwhile is uphill. I want to say that again. Everything worthwhile is uphill. Nothing worthwhile is downhill. Downhill is easy. It's the path of least resistance. But uphill is where you're going after the stuff that matters. And men, as leaders, we are well aware of the need to make sacrifices if we want what is best for our wives and for our children. How many of you know as soon as you have a child, my son Joel's getting ready to have a, have a baby. Is that public or should I not have said that? Okay. My son Joel, you're not, but when he does, when he does. No, Joel and Carly expecting. As soon as that little baby comes out that birth canal, guys, guess what just happened? You lay your life down, and the rest of your life is marked by self-sacrifice. You do things that you wouldn't normally do. You go places you wouldn't normally go. You become a professional taxicab driver. You change a lot of dirty diapers. And you know what you do? You lay your life down. You spend your money in ways that you probably wouldn't have chosen if there weren't kids involved. In fact, I was lecturing one of my children, unnamed children, the other day about a peanut butter and jelly sandwich we made for the trip that took one bite and was left. I said, this really upsets me. <laughs> Your mother got up early and made you that sandwich. Your dad got, gets up early every day and gets money for that sandwich. And by golly, you're going to eat every last bit of it. <laughs> I don't like the peanut butter brand. I don't care. (laughs) And I'm not buying silk sheets either for you. (laughs) Look at Jesus, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. Continue to walk surrendered to the extravagant love of Christ, for he surrendered his life as a sacrifice for us. You know, here's the deal. Some of you guys are going... How come my wife doesn't respect me? I, I wear the pants around this house. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to help you out. Jesus' authority came by virtue of the depth of his sacrifice. And when you're willing to shed your blood for your wife, she'll honor you and respect your authority. Because genuine authority is rooted in sacrifice, not privilege or position or honor. Jesus laid his life down to the point of shedding his blood on the cross. Therefore, he has all authority. Guess what, guys? When we lay our lives down and we serve, we get authority. If you're having to demand authority, why don't you try serving? Why don't you try loving more? Why don't you lay your life down for your wife? Can I just share something else for all the effeminate people and feminists in the audience? The reason I open the door for my wife is not because it's more efficient. Actually, if she would open the door for herself, it'd be more efficient. It's not because she's weak. She could open the door herself. The reason I open the door for my wife 
is because manhood is constantly reinforced by service and self-sacrifice. And by opening the door for my wife, what I'm saying to her is, I treasure you, you're valuable, I'm demonstrating honor for you, and I want you to know that my leadership and the strength of my leadership is always going to be demonstrated by my going low and serving you because you're my queen. A little thing, a little thing, like opening a door, which feminists get all upset about. What do you think I am? Weak? I can't open the door for myself? Lady! (laughs) Somebody just tried to honor you. Can you relax? Our society is so twisted and so perverted. But I'm telling you, man, be a man anyway. Sometimes I open the door for ladies. They walk through and they don't even say thank you. I say thank you for them under my breath as they (laughs) walk. (laughs) Let me end with this. 2 Samuel 10, verse 12. This was the challenge to all the men. Be courageous, men. Let us fight bravely for our people and the cities of our God. Can I just, this, my last little heart gush for you guys today. We are in a time where there's such a crisis of manhood in our nation today. And I'm telling you, the, the, you can see the signs on the horizon of persecution. Um, you know, when you, when you declare what I just declared publicly, this was the most politically incorrect message you'll ever hear. I hope it goes wide and far, and I hope I get lots of hate mail on social media. <laughs> It'll be a validation of my manhood. I'll feel good about myself. It, it takes courage to be a man of God. But I love what it says there. Let's fight for our families. Let's fight for our cities. I mean, you know, we got a lot to fight, fight, for. fight for. Fight for your masculinity. Fight, to, fight for your strength of your manhood. Every day we get confronted with choices about how we're going to live and cho- what choices we're going to do, and whether I'm going to be selfish or whether I'm going to serve, whether I'm going to be selfish or whether I'm going to lay my life down. Every day I get confronted with that. Am I speaking to the right group of men here? Every day, am I going to choose to love my wife like Jesus loves the church? Am I going to choose to set an example for my kids? Am I going to choose to do what's right? Am I going to choose to to be a voice even when I know it's not going to be popular? Am I going to choose to speak out? Am I going to choose to go after and do the hard things in life? You know, it's easy. It's easy just to come to church on Sunday. You know, all those folks going to Zambia and going to Mongolia, uh, that's courageous right there. That, that's, that's hard. Uh, where do you get there? You're, there's, it's not going to be like home. That's why everybody should leave the United States. You'll love this place more than ever if, when you come back. Let's do the hard things. Let's make sure at the end of our lives we're looking back and what our children say about us is, you know what? And this is what I, I posted today in memory of my dad. This is my first Father's Day without my dad, my mom's first anniversary coming up in two days, wedding anniversary without dad. And this is what I, you know, when, I, when it all is said and done, This is what I remember about my dad. He was strong. He was a man who uh, was secure in who he was. He wasn't afraid to speak the truth. And every time I was around him, I felt stronger. That's the kind of man I want to be. And I want to hang out with a bunch of guys like David in the cave of Adullam who said, that's the kind of leader I want to follow. And guys have said, you know what? We're enduring hardship together, but we're going we're, we're to take the kingdom, all right? We're going to leave a legacy. I want to leave a legacy. 
I determine when I'm walking on the ground of that Catholic school. It's like, you know what? We are going to leave a legacy. And we're going to attract people that want to leave one too. And we'll repel people that don't, but that's okay. But that's the beautiful thing about culture. You attract people that have your DNA. And, and I'll just say this. This church is going to reek with biblical masculinity. All right? The testosterone level in this place is going to be crazy. And you know what? There's going to be happy women around here. Happy women. You all with me? Ladies, ladies love godly men. There's something about, there's something handsome, beautiful, attractive about godly manhood. This place is going to be a place of godly manhood. It will continue to be a place of godly manhood. All right, do you guys have anything to add to this sermon? <laughs> Let's bring it to an end. Oh. I don't know if it was a sermon or a rant, but please forgive me. And please hear me too. I'm not, I'm not shooting at anybody sitting out here today. Um, we love every man in this place. We got, a great, we got a great fraternity of men here. Amen? It's a great fraternity. And we love each other, and we're here for each other, uh, and we're for each other. But how many of you know we, all, we can all take the ball higher uh, in our game? We can all take our game to another level. And, and let me just say this too. If everything I shared about is like the epitome of where you're not today, hey, every one of us have been where you are, right? Uh, and God has molded us, shaped us, changed us. So guess what? God will do the same for you. Just don't quit and be a man. Get rid of your silk sheets. Come on. Suck it up. Do the hard thing. Make the hard choices. Start walking uphill. That's where the best ground is. Go uphill. And, and we'll, be, we'll do it with you. But if you'll do that... You'll, you'll uh, become an amazing man of God, and that's what we want. All right, hop to your feet. We want to pray for you guys. In fact, what I'd like to do, all the men in the house, hop up. And uh, if you're by a, uh, a wife, a spouse, a daughter, uh, lay your hand on dad, your brother, your sister. Joel, you got four women right there that are going to lay hands on you right now because <laughs> God knows you need it. Get around that guy. Pray. All right, hey, guys, let's get both our hands up as a sign of surrender to the Lord this morning. Basically saying, hey, Lord, here I am. I want to become like Jesus. Lord, capture, conquer every man in this house, Lord. Lord, we want to keep going after you and and pursuing you and, and pursuing manhood. And God being a display of toughness and tenderness, just like Jesus had, displaying the beauty and the strength of the man Christ Jesus in this culture today. I think of those pictures that God just brought to my mind of the military soldiers overseas cradling a little child. Or, or you know, you see the strength of their manhood with the weapons and the grenades and the helmet and all the, all the combat gear, and yet they're sitting on a, on a guy's lap and he's reading him a book or something like that. What a picture of, of strength and of tenderness all blended into one. Lord, that's what we want to be. God, help us do great things. Help us to leave a legacy of service in this place that's going to outlast us, Lord, and be a picture of biblical manhood for generations to come. Lord, we ask a blessing now on every guy in this place. Help them to do what's the right thing to do. And Lord, lastly, bless the hot dogs on the way out. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Guys, have a great Father's Day.